Welcome to today's event, the latest in Transportation Insights Digital Master Series. Today we're talking about brokerage and carrier capacity planning in 2021. I'm Michael Willard in the Marketing Division at Transportation Insight, and we've invited members of our freight operations teams to join us today. Before we turn it over to our subject matter experts, I want to remind our audience we welcome your participation. Please send in those questions. You can do it at the question panel in the GoToWebinar window there. We'll address those questions at the conclusion of our presentation, which I'm now going to hand over to Clay Gentry. Clay's an expert in non-asset-based logistics management as Senior Vice President of Operations for Transportation Insight. Clay is responsible for making sure our clients have the most effective methods and systems in place for distributing goods while achieving service level objectives. Today he's also our moderator for the presentation, which he'll begin with an introduction of our other panelists. Welcome, Clay. Thanks, Michael. I'm looking forward to uh, moderating today's conversation with our audience and our uh, panelists here and, and uh, talking about brokerage and capacity planning for 2021. So today we've brought a team um, to discuss these topics with you that, that uh, have pretty tremendous experience in the LTL truckload and brokerage segment. But I want to start with Chris Menenhall. Chris is our vice president of LTL pricing services. He's been in the industry for more than 30 years and, and has a deep history of working in the LTL uh, pricing and procurement space and uh, working with our customers to establish an LTL carrier program that meets their best interests. So, uh, Chris, uh, thanks for joining us today and welcome aboard. Yeah, thanks, Clay. Look forward to talking about the, <clears throat> the difference between the uh, truckload and the kind of more brick and mortar LTL side. All right, good deal. I uh, want to also introduce James Matthews. James is our Director of Truckload Procurement. James as well has been in the industry for uh, over 20 years, um, pretty much the whole entire time working in the truckload marketplace, grew up in the brokerage uh, industry and has been the past several years uh, working and collaborating with Transportation Insights clients to establish and work on their truckload care network. James, thanks for joining us today and welcome aboard. Hey, uh, thanks, Clay. Look forward to talking about what we can expect for the rest of this crazy year and uh, uh, and what we're going to look like going into 2021. Thanks for having me. All right. And lastly, I want to introduce uh, from Nolan Transportation Group, or NTG, Drew Harpick. Uh, Drew is the Executive Vice President of Enterprise Strategy at uh, NTG. Drew's been in the uh, transportation management space for over 15 years and, and uh, has a tremendous amount of experience and expertise in managing the customer and carrier relationship side of uh, the brokerage business. Welcome aboard and, and thanks for joining us, Drew. Thanks, Clay. Really excited to go over this today. You know, NGG has seen an increase of uh, activity from our diverse client base in all modes. So I think the TI audience today can really benefit from some of the trends that we're seeing in the brokerage landscape. All right. Good deal. Thanks to each of you again for joining us today um, and, and looking forward to uh, to our conversation. Um, before we jump into kind of the modal specific conversations, I believe we've got a chart here to share with uh, the audience related to some of the things that we have you know, kind of seen that set the stage kind of for this conversation that we'll be having uh, today. And so, you know, if you look at this chart, it reflects really what we've experienced in the both the truckload and LTL markets in relation to the producer price index all the way back to the beginning of, of 2017. Um, 
I'm going to go out on a limb and, and assume that it's no surprise to anyone in the audience uh, today that this year has been a tremendously volatile year. Obviously, we've dealt with unprecedented market conditions and unprecedented conditions across the, the whole entire world as a result of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And it puts us in a, you know, a more challenging spot as we look forward to what to expect for uh, 2021. But, you know, in this chart, you'll see the tremendous amount of volatility specifically in the truckload space that we experienced through 2020. You know, we, we had a period of, you know, strong rate performance. And, and as we entered into, you know, COVID, at least on the front end, as demand really dried up, rates um, retreated very, very significantly. And as the market began to recover, as the economy began to open up and as shipping began to happen again, and we saw demand take a very quick rebound and supply not rebound quite as fast. And as a result, you see that very sharp upturn in, in truckload rates um, from the middle of 2020 into really kind of where we are um, here today. And so it really sets the stage for a good conversation as we look forward into 2021 and, and what to kind of expect from a, a supply and demand perspective in the marketplace. and 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 provide our audience with some you know, perspective in terms of how they look at planning capacity and what to anticipate perhaps from a rate standpoint in, in the next year. So with that being the case, I'd like to kind of move things over and start to ask some questions from our panelists here and, and open up the conversation, at least in the truckload um, environment and start James with a couple of you know questions for you. You know, if you can share with the audience and when you look at 2021 and as we you know try to um, speculate what to expect from a supply and demand standpoint what what do you believe the market holds uh in the future for us um well i mean kind of where we're sitting now you see uh you know we see tonnage actually down where we were from last year uh, but you don't see those rates kind of impact or being reflective of that. You still see elevated rates, even in a lower tonnage market, indicating to an earlier point that some of that capacity has then probably been removed from uh, from the network. So I think going into 2021, any increase in uh, in tonnage is going to be doubly impacted by a decrease in capacity. Now, uh, I think that there's some things happening right right now. I think you're actually seeing us kind of turn the corner. You're seeing kind of a flattening in some of the spot rates, uh, even a downturn in some of the modes, uh, like flatbed in particular. You're starting to see a downturn, but then you're seeing an increase in spot rates in the in the in the reefer market, uh, and that's compounded by the uh, the the vaccine that's coming out and how it's going to have to be transported. So I would expect to see uh, reefer rates continue to kind of increase. Going into 2021, though, uh, I think that there's some things happening. Uh, the market is is going to be, I, I don't think you're going to see a, a great influx of uh, of tonnage hitting the the market. But I don't think that the carrier community is ready to really give back some of the gains that they've made in the pricing. So I still think that you're going to see some elevated pricing. Uh, probably in the the three to five percent range contractually, and then some in the spot market from uh, the you know five to seven uh, percent rate increases in uh, in the in the spot market for 
probably the majority of 2021. I can't hear you, Clay, if you're directing that towards me. Sorry, bud. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. Um, Drew, as you look at kind of 2021 you know, through the lens of at least you know, supply, right, number of trucks and, and, and drivers on the road, and then you know, from a demand standpoint, the amount of tonnage that, uh, that we believe the market will, will bear, what, what do you, you know, kind of expect and, and speculate we'll be looking at in, uh, in the next year? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think from a supply standpoint, it's going to be, you know, an, an interesting year, right? And so obviously, you know, we saw the impact of all the class eight truck sales that were going on in July, August, and September, but like, you know, usual in this industry, it's not a light switch, it's a faucet, right? So a lot of these trucks will be hitting the market until April and May. So I think we're going to be in a tough capacity standpoint until then. The big question though, is going to be, do these drivers actually hop back in these trucks, right? And so we've seen a little bit of bouncing around with stimulus checks and things like that. But as we go through this you know, period now where COVID is becoming a little bit more uh, present, do we, does the stimulus go through and do these drivers actually get back on the road, right? Because that's going to time it pretty well with that January, February when some of this money might come out. Uh, I think the normal things that we usually see, right? You know, insurance obviously has been, you know, um, you know, extremely high in, over the last year. Driver pay continues to rise as well. Uh, so I think those are going to be some of the things that we have to watch, especially for the carrier standpoint. Their margins will compress uh, the more that these driver pay increases go on. I think the big thing that we're seeing right now, and I think it will continue into 2021, how we're looking at teams coming across the country, right? Some of this long haul network, uh, obviously with COVID impacting that, a lot of drivers do not want to get in the same cab together. So I think you're going to see a little bit of more of that, but with e-commerce coming into play, I think more and more carriers try to avoid some of the insurance and regulations by getting into the sprinters and small truck business a little bit more. Uh, I know James is going to touch on it a little bit, but you know, obviously the drug clearinghouse um, you know, mandate has affected this. You know, in the first report in June, we saw 20,000 plus drivers already get into that network. So I think that's going to come across the network. Uh, and then we think about it from a capital standpoint as well, right? That is one thing I think, you know, the bigger trucking companies, they're always buying, you know, more and more units, right? But I think this year when you saw the small fleet, you know, say a carrier with five trucks, I don't know if they actually went out and bought that six truck this year with all the implications going on around the market. We did see a higher number of trailer purchases across, and I think we continue to see that. You know, drivers trying to do more with drop trailers and floating warehouses. Uh, and I think the big thing, you know, that we haven't really talked about and nobody's really um, kind of talking about, you know, with UPS and FedEx going on, you've got the COVID vaccine that's going to come out here, right? It's going to be has to be transported. So carriers like UPS and FedEx are going to be at the forefront of that. But then it's going to trickle down then to this e-commerce and final mile that's had a huge impact and then all the way to the large trucking capacity. So from a supply, there's a lot going on. You know, on the demand part, Clay, I'll keep it kind of short here, but I see it as two tails, right? The first part of the year, um, you know, I think it's gonna be one of those things where it's gonna continue to depend on the consumer. Right now we're buying a lot of e-commerce, TVs, home improvement, right? What happens when we go back to what we were buying before, right? And consumer spending changes. Does that disrupt the supply chain network? I believe the answer will be yes on that. Uh, but I think we're going to see a lot of returns and a lot of reverse logistics in Q1. The ports are slanted that are an all-time high right now with containers. Uh, and then you think about the positioning of the Chinese New Year, where it falls on February 12th this year, and it usually lasts around six or seven days. So that should really impact some of the replenishment levels from the, uh, the inventory. But I think in the second half of the year, I think we start to get a little bit more normalized. I think we'll be in a better place from a COVID standpoint. I think carriers should be happy with some of the contract rates that we see going in place. Uh, but then as usual, you know, nobody, nobody ever stays in these cycles. 
I think at the end of the year, we'll start to see customers kind of look at their contract rates and do a little bit more mini bids to try to push back some of those higher contract rates down. Okay, good deal. So, yeah, I guess we're looking at a scenario in 2021, at least the first part, where maybe the volatility doesn't have an end necessarily in sight. And so, you know, with that being but, the uh, case... Yeah, hey, can I piggyback off of a couple of things that uh, Drew was just saying? Um, on on the on the the new truck sales, to his point, yes, it's gonna it's not a it, it's a trickle in. Uh, and then there's also some question of how much of that is replacement equipment versus capacity expansion. Um, so I, I still think there there's probably not going to be a huge capacity influx. But there's also been some uh, changes that I think are going to affect. Uh, Drew, you made the point of kind of the, uh, the, the long haul team, but I'm also hearing kind of some, some larger carriers that had moved to a more regional network and then relied on maybe the rail for their long haul portion, then having another regional on the other end to, uh, to fulfill the, the delivery. A lot of those, because they had market specific shutdowns that they're looking to diversify their their uh, kind of lane mix a little bit more. So I think you're going to see kind of an increase in over the road capacity that 600 1000 mile where you saw kind of a decrease over the last couple of years. But I also think all of the disruption in the intermodal could spill over to that and eat up that capacity. Uh, the inability to move goods effectively now even cost effectively and then from a service standpoint uh, over the uh, inter, on an intermodal container, that that volume could also be pushed over the road. You and we'll hear from Chris in a little bit about some of the uh, disruptions there. Some of that volume could also come over the road. Uh, so I think you've got uh, some things changing, some networks changing, but there's also enough need to fill that capacity that's already there. Good deal. And, you know, we spend a lot of time talking in the uh, transportation segment about supply, right? You know, how many drivers are on the road, how many trucks are on the road, things along those lines. But, you know, when we really refer back, even if looking at our chart, so much is driven by demand. So, you know, right. Um, you know, we saw the correction in 2019 as demand really kind of softened versus 18. And then, you know, we saw a correction later in the year as, as volumes picked up. But um, and then certainly the big crash in this year when manufacturing shut down, you know, take a stab guys at what you kind of think, you know, we'll see from an actual demand standpoint, you know, um, in the marketplace in 2021, if you can real quickly, Drew, how about you take a sh shot at that one on, on the demand side first? Yeah, it's honestly a lot of what I was just going through there, you know, Clay, like I said, I think it's gonna be a tale of two tales in 2021. I think you're going to see um, from a demand standpoint, it really goes back to the consumer buying, right, you know, and, and how we're going to be looking at that, right. And so I think that's going to really change up how these carriers look at their networks. Uh, and how they're going to be positioning their obviously their equipment. But um, from a demand standpoint, I think, you know, the one thing that we're we're very quick to do in this industry is try to predict this one way or the other, right? And we saw how everybody failed on that miserably back in March and April of 2020, right? You know, everybody was quick to say, hey, this is gonna last forever. This is gonna change things. And we saw how we went through that COVID period that really nobody knew. Uh, I think we're in similar, you know, position right now as we come through this Q4. Um, you know, it's been pretty stagnant with how things have been going in the market, how consumers have been buying. 
but like I said, I think we're going to be uh, see a big switch here when people do get back to normal life, right? When people go to bars, when people go to hotels, when people travel more, right? And you think about that business travel and things that really drive a lot of the economy, I think that will switch up how we look at some of this demand. I will say this though, I think the one thing that is definitely gonna be here to say, and it got elevated quickly with the, you know, uh, the COVID is e-commerce, right? How we go about getting our goods, you know, to, to uh, what James said, you know, a lot of these carriers have changed their supply chain networks, right? So people like myself and you can get a Snickers bar delivered to us in 48 hours, right? And so I think some of that stuff will continue to be out there in the market and we'll continue to see as we go forward, as I think a lot of consumers now have changed their buying habits from instead of going to that store, now looking to buy online, make things a lot easier for themselves. Yeah. James, any additional thoughts on the demand side before we talk a little bit? Uh, on some other topics. Yeah, you know, even if uh, demand is uh, is slightly down, say going into the you know first quarter, because you've got you know you're coming off of uh, kind of a, a downturn in the holiday season. You know, we traditionally think of the first quarter as even being RFQ season, which we don't necessarily uh, condone. But uh, I think that the rate are still relatively high and they're not necessarily reflective, but we're a, a self-correcting industry. When there is money to be had and the rates are there, then carriers are going to add capacity. They're going to feed the drivers. It's an industry that steals from uh, construction and the oil and gas. And this is like a transient work population that kind of goes between those three. And when the money is here, there won't be empty trucks. That could ultimately, uh, you know, turn to a, either a, overcapacity market where then the rates come down, which is what we always see. If you look at historically at our rates, they go like this. It's not a, a straight line up. They may be trending upwards, but there's a lot of up and down uh, between the spot and the contracted rates in that, uh, uh, in, that, uh, in that line. So I think that even if demand is down, you'll still see rates kind of holding strong at the beginning until, uh, until carriers kind of flood the market with some additional capacity and drivers, which will happen. All right, good deal. So James, as you think about you know volatility and, and we then overlay that into kind of carrier sourcing strategies with our our customer partners, you know, give us some uh, of your perspective and share a lens on you know how to really manage and and view that balance between the asset-based provider, direct sourcing and leveraging a, a partner like NTG that really then brings that that uh, large group of small carriers to bear for a customer. Give us, share with our audience kind of, you know, some of your lens on that asset-based versus brokerage sourcing um, diversification. Uh, great question. And I, and I don't, uh, I don't believe that there is, one, uh, you know, one lens that you should view your your network. It shouldn't be I want all assets because I feel like I have more control or more visibility. And I and we do hear that from people. I want the the asset. There are times where you want that asset for sure, but then there are also times where you need b solid brokerage partners. Uh, the way that I generally look at it is. Uh, what is going to fit the need the best for the carrier and the shipper? And then that's sustainable. So if you've got enough volume or density in a individual lane, maybe even into an individual market, then you can really rely on some asset partners uh, to put in 
uh, commitments from a capacity and a rate standpoint that is going to fulfill those needs. And carriers are going to need those to plan their networks. So they're not going to be as, uh, as quick to adjust the pricing on those to try to uh, account for a market increase. So as a shipper, those are lanes that you can then look at, kind of plan on, you know the cost of them, they kind of hold uh, a little bit longer than the spot market. But so many of our shippers have the one-time shipment into a new, uh, into a new uh, lane that they've never shipped to before. Uh, with that, you need those strong, flexible brokerage partners like an NTG where you can say, hey, I can find that smaller capacity carrier that just needs that backhaul. Uh, an NTG is the sales arm for these one, the mom and pop carriers, five uh, units or less. And that's what you really want to be able to handle that, that spot market. You're getting the best that the market will bear at the time of that shipment. Uh, so in most of, uh, in most shipping, uh, or in most shippers networks, you've got a hybrid of both. I've got this amount of business that I can contract and plan. And this that I'm playing in the market, and hopefully I've got the best in class uh, brokerages to fulfill that. All right, thank you, Sue. Yeah, as with managing our own portfolios, a little bit of diversification is key. So, uh, you know, Drew, if you can, you know, as you as you look at um, kind of elaborating on what James shared, right, and, and the reasons why it makes sense to to leverage a you know best-in-class brokerage firm to support and augment asset-based capacity. Give us, share with our audience some kind of perspective in terms of, you know, what, what NTG brings to the, uh, brings to the table to really help with, uh, help with driving that diversification on behalf of a, a customer. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, if, if there was any one market to be able to hit the nail on the head of this question, it'd probably be what we just saw here the last, you know, five to six months, right? And so, um, obviously, you know, transportation budgets were turned upside down, um, you know, contracts for the most part, you know, this is the first time in my 15 years, I saw contracts go out the window a lot, right? Even from assets, from brokers, all across, um, things were pretty much, you know, hey, we, we've got to level set a lot of these things, right? And so I think to your point there on there, what kind of broker are you working with, right? You know, there were some brokers that were giving back, you know, 25, 50, 100 loads to large customers, right? There were some brokers that were, you know, maintaining, hey, we'll, we'll lose as much money as possible to maintain these relationships with customers. But I think it's got to be a working relationship, a partnership, one that you can look at one way or the other, right? So I think, you know, a couple of things, right? Who was there for you in Q3 and Q4 of this year, right? I think you've got to look back at at those relationships and those brokers that really helped you out and, and help them build their network as well too, right? Because the biggest thing is from a broker standpoint is when you're helping out with this spot, how do you turn it into contract, right? And so some of the things that James was talking about from some of these small fleets and how we look at it here at NTG is, you know, we, we love to be able to take that opportunity with the customer where it says, hey, listen, you know, our partners have failed, our assets have failed, our brokers have failed. Uh, we need you to help out with this spot freight. You know, from there, what we'd like to turn it into is that contract freight, right? Because the biggest thing that we're doing with small fleets back here is that, you know, those truckload fleets from that one to 50 uh, power unit operation, they're looking to us as the customer, right? And so they're not able to get into the larger customers or even some of the mid-sized customers out there. And so what they looked at NTG as, 
as their customer, right? So those strong relationships that we're building with our small fleet networks should help alleviate some of the stress that some of these customers go through during these tough times, right? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to mitigate your transportation budget, right? And those five, 10, 15 cents a mile uh, can really make a really big difference at the end of the year when you're looking at your total network. Good deal. All right, last question in the truckload space before we kind of move over and, and uh, engage Chris on the, the LTL side. Um, James, share with us, you know, your opinions as you look at kind of contract freight versus spot freight, right? What what's best for me as a shipper? What what you know, which which strategy should I be adopting as it relates to contract versus spot procurement methods? Um, I do go back into you know what you can what you can plan, uh, what has enough. Uh, you know, density into a lane market that you can con contract with uh, with asset-based providers. That kind of contract uh, rate that you can that you can then kind of uh, plan and procure around. That's what you can kind of control. And then what doesn't live in that space needs to uh, probably live in a, in a in a spot world and play the market the way that it goes. But the one thing I would caution against is getting locked into that mindset. Uh, there are so many times where we can look within, even in a, a piece of spot, when we're when we first come into a client, we say we've identified this amount of your business, 20% of your business needs to go uh, in the spot market. Well, over time, we can start seeing trends within that maybe we need to start contracting some of that freight, uh, pulling some of that back in. If it's hitting the same general areas, then we can then hopefully contract some of that. Conversely, there may be a dip in some of your uh, in in some of your volume and lanes that we have contracted, and you may start having some service failures or tender rejections in that. That it then makes sense to move that over into a spot world. Just don't uh, necessarily look at your uh, your network as uh, as uh, you know written in stone. I mean, it, it's got to be fluid, just like procurement needs to be fluid. It's an ongoing thing. It's not a one-time. Uh, we engage with you. We take your business that we think should be contracted, go out to RFQ, and then we forget about it until next RFQ season. We don't live like that. Uh, if, if we did, you would see a lot higher service failures and a lot higher rates because uh, you would see higher tender rejections. To Drew's point earlier, uh, when you saw um, tender rejections increasing over this uh, over the summer in particular, starting in June, July, August, you saw tender rejections increase for some brokerages, but that was also because the number of loads that were being tendered had increased. It's not like they're, they were hauling less freight. You would see a, a, a brokerage, a solid brokerage partner with a, they dropped from 90% tender acceptance to 50%, but their, uh, but their tenders had increased 3x, 4x. So they were still hauling more freight, but almost being penalized from a, a perception standpoint that they were rejecting freight. So, uh, and a lot of those initial primary, secondary, and tertiary carriers were the assets that their networks had been so disrupted that they weren't able to fulfill that obligation. So, I, again, I think there is a uh, a that right mix for the shipper of contract and brokerage partnership, and it's and it changes every day. I think you have to look at it on a, on a, on a weekly, monthly uh, basis and not get locked into, this is my strategy. I think you need to flow as your, 
as your customers and your buying habits flow. Good deal. I want to take this opportunity to switch gears on us, um, move over, and we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the LTL market and, and certainly audience uh, think about some questions that uh, when we get to the open Q&A time for, for James and Drew related to uh, the truckload market. But in the LTL space, Chris, are you still with us? I am still here. <laughs> All right, great. Well, <laughs> LTL does exist, yes. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, good. So first question here, if you if you think about, you know, 2021 in comparison to you know, 2020, what do you see as really kind of the main impacts that, you know, are out there and, and you know, certainly supply and demand are one, but in the LTL space, there's lots of other factors. But when you look at 2021, what do you see as kind of the main impacts to capacity that, that we need to be talking with our customers about? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I do. Can you hear me? Yeah. Gotcha. Um, LTL is, it, you know, it's a different world out there because, you know, we operate more in that brick and mortar, uh, you know, the dock workers, you know, the labor's different. Um, the, in 2020, when we had the slowdown, you know, the short-lived slowdown in the LTL side, uh, when it came back, it came back faster than anybody could really react. And it came back different because so many of us now are, are ordering and having it delivered as opposed to, um, uh, you know, delivered to our houses. So, you know, the, the amount of residential, we definitely see an increase in, in how much is being delivered residential. And that's never been the great friend of the LTL world, uh, you know, because with residential, you've got uh, more appointments, you've got, um, you know, it, it just throws the, the, the whole route off because they're just not really set up for that. Uh, you've got lift gate, uh, heavier lift gate usage. Um, but with that said, it, it, it's what's happening and it's what's changing. And But it has taken... Um, the normal route for LTL carriers and made it a whole lot less efficient. And so while on the same time that we've had this huge spike in freight coming back, we've also got a, a different world that they're living inside of, and we've got capacity issues really all over the country uh, with definitely the, the largest constraints being in Southern California. Um, I had a top, <clears throat> a top five LTL carrier tell us this week that they've got 4,200 trailers on order and the first 200 that come in um, every month are going into Southern California because Southern California is, uh, if you say where is the, the, the worst of the worst, Southern California is definitely in the LTL side. Um, it, they just can't get, they just can't dig out from underneath it. We've seen in our uh, brokerage side of the LTL world where we've had embargoes, moratoriums on uh, handling freight in Southern California by uh, care specific, uh, short-lived each time, but uh, just so that they can, um, you know, dig out from underneath what they're into. Uh, we have customers telling us, you know, some horror stories where we have to uh, do some recovery where um, they've got shipments on trailers and, you know, you, you, you call the terminal and they say, yeah, we understand, but there's, there's a hundred other trailers out on the yard that have been touched. It's just a very, very unusual comeback uh, on the LTL side. Uh, since we kind of had that short-lived um, drop in LTO. Um, COVID still plays an impact really heavy because of the amount of labor, both in the office at the carriers and on the dock and, uh, and on the street. Um, you know, you, you may have a terminal that's operating great today, and tomorrow they have a driver and an office worker, and then everybody that's, that's been in contact with them has to go home for 15 days. And whether the terminal's large or small, that has a huge impact on it. Um, you know, service just 
really go south quick in some of those areas. Um, I'd say that uh, the, on the positive side of 2021, we're hearing a lot from carriers about, uh, and we, we have several notices where uh, CapEx is up, not just for the trailers like I've just previously mentioned, but for adding doors onto the terminals. And uh, there's several uh, carriers that have new terminals coming online in Q1 and Q2. Not, not necessarily in new market areas that they're expanding out into, but more infill of um, helping take uh, the heat off of some of the existing terminals out there. Good. Do you hear from the carriers that you're engaging with that you know, they're really planning on this, this shift in behavior to heavy residential delivery, you know, staying around post-COVID, or do you hear many of them speculating that, you know, things will go back to the way that they were? I, we're they're planning on the, the change being uh, long-term, uh, you know, even if we all get vaccinated, I think that, you know, when we go to whatever new, the new normal is, the uh, most of them that I'm talking to at the corporate level are planning on, it, maybe not to the volume that we have right now, but definitely uh, they're, they're ordering more lift gates um, and, you know, just planning around that, that whole end of uh, higher residential. Um, you know, some have dabbled in the, you know, having specialized equipment at the terminals uh, in the major markets to, to handle that type of stuff. And some have worked out, some haven't, but they're, they're, they're learning how to work with the new world. What have, you know, the, as you think about, there's certainly impact of, cost right the cost for the LTO carry to operate and, and those costs getting passed on down but what what type of uh, implications have there been from actually a service perspective time and transit things along those lines Chris that you've you've heard from the carrier community well if you're if you're looking at the carrier service reports that they hand out they're all showing still 99% on time but our our world out there when we strip out some of these um uh service codes we'll say or service restriction codes uh a lot of those major carriers on some of even some of our bigger customers uh they're operating or, or they're they're on time deliveries in the 60 70 percent range which is really just unheard of in the ltl side but that is the reality that we have out there uh, and again part of that is um lack of trailers to move the freight. Um, we're, we're seeing some interesting things like you would think that if you've got a trailer swap, that's a great thing. LTO cares about trailer swaps. Uh, but we've had some major customers have limitations on how many trailers that they'll, they'll switch. So a uh, major customer of ours uh, has um, three vans, three 53 footer swaps a day and they've limited uh, their primary carrier to uh, one trailer swap a day and so you've got two of those trailers that you got outsourced somewhere else when everybody else has got more freight that they can handle so you know we're dealing with some things that we've, we've never really had to deal with before on the, the capacity side of uh, NLTL. So when you engage with you know our customers as as shippers what are some of the things that they can do to prepare for some of the challenges that you know they may continue to face from 2020 on into 2021, Chris? Well, when you can, build a little buffer into the, the service, you know, if, if you can. 
uh, that's the biggest thing because I don't see it getting back up into those normal levels of the, at least the low 90s uh, anytime soon in 2021. It, I, I really just don't see that. Uh, they're all, they're hiring. They're they're doing everything that they need to do, uh, but it's just not happening fast enough. So when you can build a little bit of buffer in there, and then you know work with your account manager. You know on, for the CI customers out there, um, you know there's opportunities on some of our customers that that they haven't taken advantage of in the past where we might be able to run uh, build full loads and run them in, and then use maybe niche carriers or regional carriers to deliver it. Because while the big guys are really tight, we're still we still got um, some of these small guys out there that are still asking for business. So uh, there is some capacity out there. It's just not necessarily with your your larger traditional, you know, top 10 LTL South carrier. Good deal. And you answered a little bit of this with, you know, with that. But, you know, as you look at, you know, a prospective customer partnering with Transportation Insight, you know, what, what type of value do they get as it comes to really, you know, managing through this these uncertain times? I think um, our TMS on the LTL side plays a huge part on uh, the value that we bring because when you have a carrier like that example with the the embargo um, on how many trailer swaps that they'll allow a day, uh, inside of TMS we very quickly or you know we've got the problem area of, of Chicago or um, you know when these COVID things hit inside of TMS we very quickly can react by uh, removing that carrier temporarily because sometimes these things that they you know, it takes them a week or two to get out from under it. We've had it happen in Salt Lake City this year, Denver, uh, um, uh, Atlanta, to where carriers um, just re re ask for an embargo and refuse to pick up. So we use, utilize that TMS to its fullest by limiting to those zip codes for those short time, those short time embargoes. Um, so utilizing the TMS, um, being open to adding additional carriers. You know, we've all got. You know, all customers have got the carriers that work with them the best and their favorites uh, may not be the cheapest, but the ones that they like to use. But, you know, in tight capacity and being open to um, maybe allowing us to add another carrier in to that so that when these things happen, you're a known, you, uh, that carrier is a known carrier. And um, those would be the major things on the LTL side. All right. Good deal. Well, thank you, you know, very much for. Uh... For those thoughts and and uh, sharing that with uh, with the group here, and so I think we're to that point where you know, we certainly like you know from an audience and participation perspective, you know, you guys feel free to share your questions through the the chat box and the the webinar, and and we'll open things up for a period of time now for you know, myself and the panelists to to take some questions from the from the audience. Sure, Clay. We've already got one coming in. Uh, this one looks like it's probably going to go to Chris, our LTL expert. So, Chris, what pricing actions are LTL carriers taking to control capacity? Well, other than the obvious one of uh, increasing carrier rates, which we, we've definitely seen, uh, 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 this has been a crazy year uh, for carrying because although we are seeing that level out a little bit right now, which is good, and we will move into that. Uh, slower season as we move into that slower season we'll see that level out too so and we've seen LTL volumes kind of level out a little bit uh, which they always do around after Christmas until about February but uh, we're already seeing that level out a little bit the spikes are gone but other than carrier rates um, uh, 
carriers targeting uh, to control capacity carriers are targeting specific types of freight like uh, overlink um, you know they we've seen a huge push in the second half of this year to um, to try to drive off overlink by uh, imposing non-negotiable often uh, overlink charges um, temporary embargoes out there you know what we talked about where they may say for Wednesday through uh, the following Monday, we won't pick up freight on, on the outbound side, but we'll deliver inbound freight. Um, you know, that's, that controls capacity while they, they play catch up off of it. And uh, we also have seen some of the, the bigger guys suspending temporarily um, uh, spot quotes or volume quotes in the LTL side. So we all know that the, those can be good on those tweener type shipments that are between the LTL and the truckload. Uh, but some carriers have just for a week or two just um, done embargoes where they won't even quote it for uh, short term and because they don't want that inside of their network. And then when it does get in the network, the volume quotes move at the carriers um, as they need it. So as opposed to if you got a, a three-day move, a spot quote it does not move at that and is not measured to that same transit time. It's as needed, so it might set a week before they actually move it, and, and they feel that that need, and that's why they quote those type shipments. In 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 a great world where everything's moving nice and we've got normal capacity, they typically the volume of spot quotes move at normal standard transit times, but uh, they're not right now, and if they even quote it, so we we do see some swings in that. Okay, and uh, you know, Chris talked a little bit about some of the service issues going on in the LTL space. I'll throw this one to James and Drew. Uh, do you guys expect to see or uh, any service challenges on the service front and truckload uh, in 2021? Yeah, James, I can do you start. You want to kick off? Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Um, no, I, I think to your point, that's a it, it's a great question to ask right now, right? Because of over the last five six months. You know, you always go back and forth with these markets and, and capacity. What we haven't heard is a service question, right? We haven't heard the, hey, you got to be at 95%. It's more about, hey, can you get me a truck, right? And so I think that question will start probably creeping back into um, everybody's thoughts probably after April, May, after we probably get through a little bit of the, the produce season and trucks coming back into the market. I think customers then will start pushing back and start demanding their service levels, getting back up to where they were uh, pre-COVID. Uh, but right now, that's something that we haven't heard a, a ton out of there. Obviously, from our level and what we're trying to do from a brokerage standpoint is provide that high service, right? Something that we're going above and beyond now is trying to prove to customers that we're trying to get into is, hey, we're able to service during these times. We'll be able to service during all times, right? Uh, but right now, that that hasn't been something we've heard. I think you'll hear a lot of it, though, on the back end of uh, 2021. If uh, if I were to add to that on the on the service side from an enterprise standpoint, you know, I think one thing that we've learned in in kind of the down part of this year, uh, and then even leading up to kind of the higher uh, higher demand time, uh, we're very diligent in our in our carrier scorecarding, but also carrier communication and building that uh, that relationship. And our carrier scorecards can be built off of multiple different factors, what, whatever is important to the shipper. Obviously, service is always going to be a component of that. Uh, from, from my lens, carriers have actually embraced this a little bit more. Uh, for a long time, they thought that the, uh, the measuring and the managing based off of metrics would 
uh, kind of get in the way of the relationship. And from what I'm finding, it's actually enhancing that relationship. It, when a carrier is looking to grow uh, and want to, they want to see what additional business is out there. So just the, when we're talking to a carrier in conjunction with a customer based off of what their actual service metrics are, we can have kind of those detailed conversations. Hey, it looked like your percentage dropped into this market. Is there a reason behind it? Yes, I'm actually over committing because I want to value the relationship. And it just, it just engenders these uh, honest conversations that ultimately does increase the carrier service. It increases the customer's experience. And then ultimately it does help the carrier grow into the market that they want to serve uh, at, at a high level of excellence. Carriers also like it because if they are a carrier of excellent uh, service, they want to be able to tout that. They want to say, yes, uh, I, I'm at a 97% uh, or a 98 or a 99% uh, service uh, and, and I should probably be treated as, as, a, as a true dedicated partner for you. So for me, I think service is always a, is a component of it. And I think those honest conversations and relationship building will, will increase your overall service into 2021 or in any market. One other thing to add to, to what James was just talking about too in the service front, you know, like to his point, service is always going to be there. I think the big thing we talk about service now, especially from a truckload front, is now the whole digital tracking piece, right? And how you're looking at that type of service and what you're able to provide to customers as well, too. So I think that is one thing that will continue to go forward into our truckload market is how you're working with the digital tracking experience as well. Kind of staying on the truckload topic, James, we've got a question here from our audience. What market benchmark should one use to compare their spot rates to in the flatbed, flatbed space? What market benchmark should they use? Well, uh, we're in an, we're in a era where data is king. So you got to look at a multiple, uh, multiple uh, kind of data points, in my opinion. You know, obviously you've got everybody out there that's using uh, kind of that rate view. Then hopefully you're also looking at your own internal uh, metrics. What are our clients actually moving their flatbed freight through? We've also got truck stop that uh, that probably reports more on the flatbed side than some of the others. Uh, so you so you're you've got all these companies that are trying to build out a database and try to really uh, hone in on what that benchmark is. I believe that that being the largest repository of national rates, you've got to you've got to look at that. Adding in your own internal, what are your what are your clients actually moving their freight for, and then every data point that you can get. I, I think we're in more of a data sharing uh, world than we than we have been, and we're not necessarily holding cards. We want to be able to to predict what that benchmark is and what you can procure for. So. Uh, it's a it's a challenging question. What market should you benchmark? Should you use to compare your spot rates? Um, I think you have to look at the, all of those sources and base off of what you can move your freight for in in that market. So, uh, did I get to that or did I dance around that enough, Clay? You want me to hammer in some more? I can. I can. If I was to you know if I was to elaborate on most certainly in the flatbed space. You know, that, that market is, you know, we would view it as the most, you know, highly segregated market, you know, and from a provider perspective, right? You don't have the 
the big providers controlling a meaningful amount of capacity. It is all in the tiny, you know, the tiny market space, which is very transactional, um, very heavy spot quote uh, type of environment. And flatbed shippers by nature, you know, um, end up being more transactional, not necessarily delivering through established retail channels. And so as a result, it ends up being, you know, more of a spot quote type of environment in the flatbed space, most certainly when in comparison to, let's say, Van or Reefer. Um, and, and you know, you mentioned several of the providers of kind of third-party, you know, market intelligence. Um, and you know, when we talk about data, the ones that have the largest amount of data reported into it end up, you know, providing us with, you know, oftentimes the most meaningfully accurate um, benchmarks. And so, in this environment, you know, certainly um, coming to the top of that list is, you know, likely going to be, you know, the the, the data products from an actual, um, you know benchmarking perspective related to what is the whole entire market seeing um, from a rate standpoint in flatbed. Great information. Another question coming in from our audience, uh, kind of staying in the truckload area. We haven't talked an awful lot about the intermodal topic, but James and Drew, you know, are there any capacity constraints that you anticipate in the intermodal space next year uh, and how might that impact the over the road market? James, I'll let I you can note. Thanks. Um, yeah, the intermodal market has been in total disruption. A lot of this is kind of uh, an overflow from some of the international disruption. Obviously, you're you're looking at containers and where you can uh, where you can source them from. Uh, so, uh, we've Chris even mentioned uh, Southern California about that being a, a a market where you have extreme capacity issues. Intermodal was feeling the same thing. A lot of that now is moving up to Northern California as you're trying to shift some of that international inbound. Uh, so there has been a lot of uh, uh, disruption on the on the intermodal side. Um, the the areas that you're always going to be looking for are where can you feed back into that market. So in a in a east to west bound position, you're going to be uh, you're, you're going to be serviced pretty well. Uh, what I would look at and what a lot of our clients uh, were fortunate enough to uh, receive is they had kind of done some of their bidding prior to. Now, you're still always going to get maybe like a uh, a seasonal surcharge at a ramp, uh, but we, there hasn't been a, a lot of new negotiations. For one reason, a lot of carrier, a lot of intermodal uh, carriers, a lot of IMCs weren't uh, weren't taking new business. They had all of the they had all of the business that they could fulfill. That spills over in the truckload market absolutely. If you're not able to service it, or your service times are now double what they were because of congestion and not being able to uh, have your drayage network pick up that shipment, or not even having an available container, your customer still needs that freight. That means it's going to go over the road and eat up some of that over the road capacity. But what we were seeing is kind of a a uh, kind of twofold. It's not as cost effective, and the service is even better on the truckload. So let me go ahead and convert that now, creating some uh, capacity issues out of Southern California. If you're a shipper out of Southern California, you saw you saw rates just absolutely skyrocket for over the road, and a lot of that was reflective of the imbalance in the intermodal space. 
Yeah, I think the only thing I would add on James's part there is, is you're seeing it right now, right? As we go through this Q4 peak, I'm, I'm sure everybody in this phone call is seeing how how the West Coast is just absolutely exploding. Uh, and the one thing that we're hearing more and more uh, from the ports and from you know containers, you're not able to get boxes probably until February and March. So to James's point, you're just going to see this fuel more and more. Some of the rates coming off of California to some of these remote you know uh, locations on the West Coast are paying triple what they normally do this type of year. Great. Okay. So we still got some time for uh, questions. Everybody out there in the audience, just send them in through the questions panel here at the GoToWebinar. Uh, another question. This one's for our LTL expert, Chris. What is the trend and why for LTL OSND? Yeah, well, uh, COVID and the issues that we have with capacity have definitely given us a double-edged sword on that. So, um, OSND is up, uh, oversort and damage uh, claims are up. Uh, we actually file for many of our customers and provide metrics back to them on what's happening. So we kind of have an overview of that. So you've got two things. One, they're hiring uh, new dock workers and new drivers. And when you hire new people, put them out on the dock, there's that learning curve and um, they mishandle freight. And two, when you've got more freight than you can put on the trailer, as you're moving that freight across the dock, um, to where you, you you may have a trailer with um, uh, a little bit of airspace in there, you know, in a normal world because you want to avoid those claims. In today's current world where you got more freight than you have trailers, they're shoving everything in and that's where we're seeing it. And we're, part of the uptick that we're seeing too is um, when you're shipping manufacturer to manufacturer, um, those people are trained on how to, how to handle claims on the destination side. So when you have a, a claim that's noted, notated properly and makes filing those claims a whole lot easier, but when you see this uptick in um, residential deliveries, um, home delivery people just don't know how to, you know, they don't know what to notate. Uh, they don't notate. It makes filing claims a whole lot harder and a whole lot harder to recoup from the carriers. So um, we're, we're trending that uh, for the clients that we file claims for. And uh, that's the thing that we're seeing out there right now. Thank you much for that. Uh, looks like we've reached the end of all of our questions. We're approaching the top of the hour. Go ahead and conclude this Transportation Insight Digital Master Series event. Thank you to our moderator, Clay, and our panel of motor freight experts. Appreciate your time and all the great information you shared. For more information or to reach out to our supply chain masters, just use the contact information you see on the screen. You can also visit us online at our website, that's transportationinsight.com. You can access more about our solutions, our blogs, our resources guide. Today, you can find our freight rate outlook for 2021. It goes over some of the details our panel has been talking about today. Just look for it on the guides page of our resources section. You can also find our parcel rate outlook for 2021 there if you're shipping small package. Uh, a lot of other resources are available that gives you guidance on planning your transportation strategy for the coming year. Whether your business is large or small, Transportation Insight has a supply chain solution that can help you control cost, manage risk, and improve customer service. On behalf of our panelists and Transportation Insight, thank you for joining our broadcast. May you master the remainder of your day.